You're listening to the sermon audio from Vertical Church Triad, a vertical church in Jamestown, North Carolina. For more info on our service times and location, visit us at www.verticalchurchtriad.org. You are loved. One thing I want to do really quickly, um, I feel like I'm really loud, and I don't need all that help. So if we could tone that down a little bit, these people will walk out of here. Um, with their ears hurting. Okay, um, yesterday we had about 65 people here, and we passed out over a thousand of these invite cards. Here's what I would like you to do, if you would, so kindly. Um, one of our responsibilities as part of the King's Kingdom is to let people know about the King. <laughs> the King is coming, right? It's our responsibility, for real. An easy way um, to let people know that the king is coming is by just grabbing, we have them um, in stacks of 25, and they're on the info desk. On your way out, grab 25, grab 50. Don't wait, but today, um, before the big game comes on, grab a stack of 25, grab a stack of 50, walk your neighborhood, and if you would, Put it on their mailbox. Don't put it inside their mailbox. Put it on their mailbox. And so when the first thing they see says, you are loved, you've been prayed for. That's what we did yesterday. Now, um, it's kind of like an invite card slash prayer walk. And pray for them. Like, put it on real quick. We did this all day yesterday, or for about an hour and a half yesterday. I shouldn't say all day. We did it for about an hour and a half yesterday. And it's really quick prayers. Like, hey, Lord, we don't know who House 4100 is, um, but you do. They may need salvation. Uh, they need they may need their hearts to be turned back to you. And so, Lord, we're asking in the power of Jesus uh, to do that. If they need a church family, whether it be ours or another gospel-preaching church, would you direct them to a church, and you're moving on? That's simple. Okay, and here's why. Um, Because one of our values is unafraid witness. One of our values is unceasing prayer. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. And uh, we also need to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so I would encourage you, if you live, you know, within, say, 15, 18 minutes of vertical church, would you grab a sack of these and do a little um, mission trip? On the back side of this card, it has an Easter invite card. You never know what the, might, what the Lord might do with such thing. Also, we did get more stickers. So if you would like to grab a sticker, a vertical church sticker, put it on your car, grab one, um, another great way to let people know. Uh, that we are a vertical church. A vertical focus results in a horizontal urgency church. Did you get that? Did you get that? Are you urgent about lost people? Do you see them as souls that are going to spend eternity forever somewhere? A vertical focus results in horizontal urgency. I've got to communicate the gospel. I've got to live for Jesus. The more we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ that we just sung about, the scriptures that we just declared, we will live with an urgency to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. My hope, my prayer, as a result of this sermon series, the I Am series, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the character of our Christ. My prayer for myself, my prayer for each of you, is that this vertical focus, focusing on the names of Jesus Christ, will create within our hearts, it will invoke within our souls an urgency to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I am fired up. I am ready. I hope you are. Hey, listen, I will say, though, you guys kind of hung me out to dry last week. You remember? Do you remember that moment in the service when Jeff said, I don't know what Matt's doing over here, but you guys aren't responding. I was like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I try to get him to respond. I thought that was kind of funny, and I loved the way you guys were shouting those names of God back at Jeff last week. So thankful for Jeff Donaldson, thankful for Dion Parker. They were able to give me a much-needed break and also keep us in our series as we lead up to Easter, Easter Sunday, when we study Jesus Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. But until then, we will continue to plow through all the other names of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever been on one of those road trips... And, and you, you stopped at a pit stop, maybe you stopped at a 7-Eleven, and you got like the big gulp drink. You know what I'm talking about? You know the big gulp? 
It's like 128 ounces or something like that, and you go to the slurping machine or you go to the, uh, you go to the soda fountain and you fill that up, and you're like, let's be road warriors, and you're in the car and you're driving, and next thing you know, you're like, I got to go to the bathroom. And but you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? When like all of a sudden, like that big gulp is ready to come out and you're dying, like you're squirming in the seat. You know, you feel me? Like, like we can kind of feel it almost right now. We've all been there, right? I remember this one time I was with my mentor, Jim Newcomer. We were on a little bit of a road trip. We were coming back. Um, we were going 40 east. We were somewhere between, I don't know, Asheville and, and Hickory, somewhere on 40. I think we had just come down Black Mountain, and I needed an exit. And I needed an exit bad. And so you know what my mentor did when he noticed that I was squirming in the seat and crying for a rest stop? He decided to start slowing down. And he went as slow as he possibly could. We finally come upon an exit, some pit stop, Stuckies or something weird like that. You guys know where Stuckies is in the middle of nowhere on 40? Yeah, you do. You do. Oh, I know Stuckies well, and let me tell you why. I got out of that car. I ran into Stuckies. I saw when in doubt, go. What? When in doubt, go. You have right or left. When in doubt, go. Right? No, you go left. I went right, and I plowed into that bathroom. And I kicked open that stall, and I got some relief, and I walked out of that stall, and I went up to the sink, and I looked at the person next to me, and it was a female. (laughs) You ever choose the wrong door? I chose the wrong door. In John chapter 10, Jesus shares the third of seven I am statements. First one is, I am the bread of life. Second one is, I am light of the world. Now in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. Unlike the rest stop, which had just two doors, there are many doors to choose apart from Jesus Christ. Many doors. Thousands of doors. Hundreds of thousands of doors. Maybe even millions of doors. And unlike the rest stop, choosing the wrong door doesn't result in shame. It doesn't result in embarrassment. What it results in is eternal condemnation. Did you get that? You choose the wrong door. It's not about shame or embarrassment. Like It is eternal condemnation in a place called hell. And let me tell you something, this was our loving leaders. This was our shepherd's concern for the crowd that was in his midst. He was concerned because the crowd was not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. So really out of a heart to rescue the crowd from eternal destruction, Jesus Christ shares some very important instruction about himself And really, it's in in, an allegory. An allegory is a metaphorical teaching where physical objects are used to teach a lesson. Jesus was seeking to, to teach a spiritual lesson to the crowd. And just as it was important for the crowd that was following Jesus to understand this spiritual lesson, we too, crowd, we must understand this very important lesson. Notice what our Messiah says to the crowd. So Jesus, again, said to them, verse 7, John 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, this is awesome, this is awesome, you might want to underline it. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you're a note taker, here's the big idea for today's sermon. Jesus is the entry for me to experience life abundantly. Jesus is the entry for me to experience life abundantly. Before we just dive into the passage this morning, we have to look back to chapter 9 to understand why Jesus is even giving this sort of instruction. Why would some guy say, and of course, he's just not some guy, he's the Savior of the world, but why would Jesus say, I'm a door? What? I'm a door? Really? Why would he say I'm a door? Well, here's why. If you look back in chapter 9, here's what's going on. Jesus was walking with his disciples, and he sees a guy who had been blind since birth. You remember this story? The guy who had been blind since the day he was born? 
What Jesus does is our Savior, he, he's, he's a loving Savior. He's a loving Savior. He has a heart of compassion for people who are hurting. And so he sees this hurting individual, and what does he do? He spits in the ground, and he creates really some mud, and he takes that mud, and he rubs it on the man's eyes, and he says, go and clean yourself off in the pool of Shalom, and if you do, you'll, you'll be able to see. And the guy does that. And he runs over to the pool, and he washes his eyes, and the guy can see. And of course, the people who had known this man, because everybody knew who the blind guy was, he was a beggar. I mean, he'd been blind since birth. Everybody cared about this man. Everybody felt bad about this man. Everybody knew this man. They see that now this guy can see. And so they grab the guy, and they're like, we've got to take you to the synagogue, and we've got to tell our leaders. We've got to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees what this man just did. They're going to be pumped. They're going to be blown away. Maybe this one that just healed you is the Messiah. Maybe this is the man who will free us from Roman oppression. Consumer. So they take him to the Pharisees, the critics. What do the critics do? What do the critics do? They, they just flat out deny the work that Christ had just really performed. And they say, how can a sinful man do this? It's a dink. We don't know what happened, but it wasn't because of him. We're not giving this man the credit. And what does the dude say? Do you remember what the guy says? This is awesome. This is so awesome. Look, boys, here's the deal. All I know was I was blind, but now I see. Yeah. Hey, here's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is, if you have your issues with this Jesus, this Messiah guy, Pharisees, that's fine. But here's what I know. I see now. What do these guys do? What do the, what do the critics do? Well, they're just fired up. Like, you don't step up to the Pharisees. You, ne- you never cross a legalist, just so you know. Just so you know. You ever come across a legalist? Oh, legalists don't like to be questioned. They don't like to be corrected. And so they grab the guy by the neck. They throw him out of the synagogue. They nearly kill the guy. Well, Jesus happens to be walking along, and he sees the man. And what does Jesus do? He invites him into the kingdom of God. He reveals himself to the man. Here's the point. The religious leaders refused to see Jesus as the Messiah. Blind. And they don't even understand. If you look at verse 6 of John chapter 10, they don't even understand what Jesus is saying. Just talked about this whole shepherd thing, and we're sheep. In verse 6, it's like this figure of speech Jesus used with them, they didn't understand what he was saying. They don't get the analogy of a sheep and a shepherd. So again, you, you got to see the heart of Jesus. I think sometimes we look at the heart of Jesus and we're like, man, he, he was a stern man. He was a cold man. He's always confronting people. No, he was, yes, he was doing that, but it was out of a heart of love. It was out of a heart of, I, I want you in my kingdom. I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. I don't want you to reject me as the Messiah. Jesus was oh so patient with the Pharisees. He wanted the Pharisees coming into the kingdom. That's why he sought out Nicodemus. He wanted them all in the kingdom. He didn't separate himself from the Pharisees. The Pharisees separated themselves from him. Don't ever forget that. Jesus wants a loving, abiding relationship with each and every one of us. But we decide that we're going to separate ourselves from him. And so what does Jesus do? Out of a heart of compassion, not frustration. If he was frustrated, he would have walked away. He uses the same analogy with a twist in order to provide clarity for the critic. Just so you know, where is this in the timing and in the life of Jesus? This is the winter before his crucifixion. He's about nine, ten months away from being crucified. Time is running out. There's an urgency. And we all ought to live with that same type of urgency. That's why I say, put this on your car, put this on a mailbox, put it on a door, because time is running out. Time is running out for you. Time is running out for the people who don't know Jesus. We have a limited amount of time. We are one breath away from slipping into eternity. Jesus knew his time was nearing an end. So what does he do? He starts with these words, verily, verily. You know what those words mean? 
I, I like these words because I know my preaching mannerisms. I know what you're saying behind closed doors about Matt's preaching. I can handle the mockery as long as I can mock you too. I understand that I say this a lot. you got to get this. Right? Well, guess what? When Jesus says, verily, verily, truly, truly, he's saying, you got to get this. you got to get this. you got to get this. There is an urgency in his tone. And he provides another word picture for a spiritual lesson. And he's like, I am a door. I'm a door. Not the doors. Not part of the doors. Remember the doors, Alex? Remember the doors? Good band. I am a door. Now, this was certainly a strange thing to say but it communicates a whole lot of clarity. And I would say we say similar things from time to time. You moms, I've heard my wife say this. My wife will say something like this every once in a while. I'm a taxi. You know what I'm saying, moms? I'm a taxi. You're really not a taxi, but you feel like a taxi, and you're kind of a taxi. It communicates something. I'm an ER. Miriam got after me the other night. She's like, how come every time the kids wake up sick at night, they come right to me? Because like, you're the doctor. You know what I'm talking about. You're not that thing, but you are that thing. And here's the deal. Jesus wants you to understand something. He wants you to understand, I'm the door. I'm the door. Jesus is the entry for me to experience life abundantly. Number one, in Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. In Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. Now, there are different types of Check out this door. This door right here, it's one of those like bomb shelter doors. You know what I'm talking about? When I went to Israel, we, we had like legit doors like this at the hotel we were staying in. We at the Star of David Hotel. And, they, and, and Carter lived over there. He knows. Like, they have like legit doors like these things. They're bomb shelter doors. And, and he's communicating a message. What, what does a door do? Think about your front door to your home. Think about that windstorm we had a few nights ago. Aren't you glad you had a door? Aren't you glad you had a strong door? To protect you in the storm? I know even last night, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning. I never can sleep on Saturday night. Never can sleep. I'll, I'll wake up three, four, five times. It's horrible. I woke up last night, and I'm like, oh, man, did I just hear something? We're doing some work on our house, and we have some ladders outside. And I'm like, oh, man, is someone stealing the ladders? I have to go out there and kick someone's butt at 2.30 in the morning before I preach. Am I really going to have to do that? Not really. I got my cell phone. <laughs> But what does the door serve? Me, I'm not even sure that thing's deadbolted, right? It's a protection. And listen, loved ones, this is how Jesus wants to be viewed when he says, I am the door. He said, I'm a protection. And critic. And consumers who are excited that the guy's healed, like, you're missing out. And in verse 8, this statement Jesus makes, it would have strengthened the committed. It would have really stretched the consumer. It would have silenced the people who really didn't care. But here's the deal. It incensed the critics. Who does this guy think he is? I am the door? Look at look what Jesus says. He says, verse 8, all who came before me. That's an important statement, the all who came before him, because the critics know that they were around. The Pharisees, the legalists were around. The system was in place before Jesus appeared on the scene. You tracking with me? So when Jesus says, all who came before me, they know that he's talking about them. And how does he describe them in verse 8? Do you see it? Look down at your Bible. How does he describe them? Yeah, thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers, similar, different, right? Think about a thief. Thief is kind of like the guy who may come at night and steal your ladder. <laughs> He's the guy who might pickpocket you in the subway. The thief is slick and undetected, but the robber, man, he's violent. He holds you at gunpoint. What Jesus is doing here is he's explaining to the crowd that there are thieves and robbers. Some of these people are going undetected. Slick. They're sly. In fact, some of them open up their Bible 
and proclaim God's word. And they go undetected. There are others who are robbers who it's like flat out obvious that we know who they are. They're not trying to go undetected. They're preaching a false gospel, but they're still seeking to steal, steal the sheep away. In fact, I would even say Paul warns over and over, especially of the thief. He, he, he warns us of the false teachers throughout many of his epistles. He speaks of the false teacher in Acts chapter 20. Even the prophets, the prophets like Ezekiel warned of these thieves and robbers prior to Christ's arrival, Ezekiel chapter 34. And here we see Jesus warning the crowd about the critic, and the critic is hearing everything that Christ is saying. He's letting the crowd know, the global community know, that there are people who come into the flock. And I would even say there are people who might come into this flock. Happened once. I had to tell a person they had to leave. They were disseminating a false gospel in our lobbies, in our lobby. But there are people who come into the flock seeking, they're in their winsome, they're attractive, they know a lot, and they look to steal you away from a relationship with Jesus. And let me just say this, it's not just people. Anything, listen, anything that pulls you away from Jesus Christ, it could be a person, it could be a place, it could be a career, it could be a family member, it could be a hobby, it could be a talent, anything that pulls you away from Jesus Christ is a robber and a thief. What do you mean? Well, think about it. It's robbing you from a life-giving, joy-fulfilling, soul-satisfying, daily abiding relationship with Jesus. Things do that to us all the time. I remember I got my first car. It looked like a pregnant roller skate. It was um, a 1987 Toyota Corolla FX16. Um, I could bench press it, um, but it had a 16-valve engine. And a 16-valve engine, like, the thing could move. And it weighed 12 pounds because I could bench press it, right? And so, but I remember one time, I had this car, this Toyota Corolla FX16, and I was a gym rat back in the day. And it was my car, so I could, like, leave it however I wanted it. And it wasn't, like, a great car like girls would be impressed by, so the thing was a mess. And so this thing served as my locker. One day, I decided, like, you know, I'm looking around. I'm going to go play basketball. I'm like, I can't find my basketball shoes. Like, I'm not going to look in my room. Why would I look in my room? I have my locker. I have my FX-16. Can't find my shoes. I also looking around my car. I can't find my gold chain. Can't find my church khakis with my pinstripe blue and white button down that I was going to have to wear to church. Can't find my $55 that I left in my car. I'm kind of frustrated beyond belief. Like, what's going on? I can't find my clothes. I can't find my 55 bucks. Today, that equates to $712, just so you know. It's a lot of money. I'm frustrated beyond belief. It wasn't until I went out on a date and opened the passenger car of the door about a week later that I realized my car had been broken into. The lock was all messed up. I'd gone seven, ten days clueless and frustrated. Why? Because I didn't have what I needed. I share that example with you because that's some of you here today. You're kind of going through life, doing your normal routine, frustrated because you know something's missing. Something's missing, but you're clueless to the reality that you've been robbed from a life-giving, joy-fulfilling, soul-satisfying, daily abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, you've been robbed and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. You don't know what you're missing out on. And I would say it would do all of us, and the us includes this guy starting here, it would do all of us well to ask ourselves, what are the things in my life that are robbing me from an intimate relationship with Jesus? Some of those things are subtle things. They're thieves. But some of those things are obvious things. They're robbers. 
And for some reason, we're still unwilling to release them to the Lord. You know what our response should be to the thieves and the robbers? You know what it should be? Jesus says it in verse 9. What do the sheep do? What do the sheep do when the thief and the robber come in? They don't listen to them. They don't listen. You you shouldn't even give these thieves and these robbers your attention. In fact, I would say that if your Christian life, though, is characterized by a failure, like continually to ever experience a soul-satisfying, abiding relationship with Jesus, I would say, like, you have to even wonder, like, do I really even know the shepherd? That's the point that Jesus is making here. Because Jesus, he's letting us know that as the door, he protects us from the thieves and the robbers. As the door, he serves as protection from personal destruction. He's the door. He keeps the bat out. He keeps the sheep safe. He provides the saved a sanctuary. That's the point that he's trying to make. And I would say this is a beautiful way to see Jesus, by the way, isn't it? Like we look at, I am the door, huh? Oh, this is beautiful. I mean, in fact, it reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 regarding the protection that we receive because of Jesus Christ. We studied Romans chapter 8. We did a whole sermon series, I don't know, last summer or something like that called The New You. But remember, Romans chapter 8, it is like probably the the pinnacle of all Scripture passages. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? Let's get it on the screen if we could. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to contemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, I expected more than one amen. I'm not going to lie. I took a drink thinking like I would have that five minutes to like chug this thing. So let, let me reiterate. In Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. I have protection from condemnation. I have protection from separation. I have protection from tribulation. I have protection from affliction. Let's get these on the screen, please. I have protection from persecution. I have protection from famine. I have protection from desolation. I have protection from annihilation. This is the protection that the door gives us. Amen? Yeah, that's, that is, like, you can't explain that. You can't explain that. Jesus is the entry to experience life abundantly. In Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. Do you know him? Do you know him as the door? Are you one of the committed don't be a critic. Don't be a consumer. In Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. Number two, in Jesus, I have admission for spiritual provision. In Jesus, I have admission, admission for spiritual provision. Think about a door. We've got a door on the screen for you, a beautiful front door. Doesn't that look inviting? You gain entrance. You gain admission into this beautiful house. It A door allows people entry. It it allows you into the place where you're going to experience provision. And really, this is the second way Jesus wants to be viewed. He's like, you're missing out. I'm the door. I'm offering you something. I'm going to give you spiritual admission for spiritual provision. And in an effort to move the crowd into his kingdom, notice what he says next. Look at verse 9. He says, if anyone enters by me, Anyone means anyone, just so you know. Anyone. It means Putin. It means Bundy. 
it means McCarthy. Anyone means anyone. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter if you've been living a life of hypocrisy and religiosity or if you're living a life of rebellion. Jesus is saying, I serve as an admission for every person to experience spiritual provision. Notice what he says next in verse 9. He says, if anyone enters by me. Now, this is really important like because he's talking about he's a door, and he's talking about if anyone enters by me. Here's, here's what's going on. There are two types of folds. There's a communal fold where, where basically everybody would come to, or, well, the shepherds would come to with all their sheep, and everybody would kind of hang out, and there was like one guy with the key that allowed access into this communal sheepfold. But in the summer months, what would often happen is the, the sheep would be left out at night. And in the hills, they would have basically these walled-off squares where the sheep would gather, but there was no door. And Jeff made reference to this briefly last week when he talked about the shepherd. What the shepherd would actually do is he would serve as the door. And when the sheep wanted to go in the field and feed and find pasture in order to be nourished so that they could survive, they would have to go by the shepherd. They'd go in and out through the shepherd. The shepherd would actually lay down and serve as the door. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. He says, if anyone, doesn't matter who you are, if you enter by me, I'm the door. If you enter by me, and by me, let me just say this, that's exclusive terminology, isn't it? He's making it pretty clear that there's only one way to experience life, and it's through Jesus Christ. And just as the shepherd would come and, and become a door and lay down at the entry point so that the sheep would have life, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to lay myself down on the cross for you. I'm going to live the perfect life, the life that you could not live. And that life of perfection is going to enable me to be a Savior. And if you will cry out to me and confess your sin and ask me to be your Savior, my life of perfection, my righteousness will be transferred over to you. I'm the door. Everything's got to come through me. And if you do that, notice the promise that Jesus gives us in verse 9. He says, if anyone enters by me, he says, he will be saved. He will be saved. He will be delivered. He will be rescued. He will be secure. Not only will he be delivered and rescued and secure, but he will be pulled out from a bad situation and be transferred into a much better situation. So a couple years ago, we were up at my wife's farm, and we were playing wiffle ball in the front yard. And I'm kind of standing just like this. You guys pretend you're the better, and behind you, there's this road, all right? And it's kind of a steep, um, steep winding road, and there's this other little hill right in front of the house. I'm throwing pitches. I see this Honda Pilot come hauling down that hill. Goes around the corner. It hits this embankment thing, this little hill. Dude, I thought I was watching Dukes of Hazard. I swear to you. The thing launches about 15, 18 feet in the air. Right away, I'm just like, call 911. I just start running toward the thing. Like, it was bad. It looked like this. I jump that now that that stone wall that's like the old school farm wall. You know what I'm saying? That thing's like nine, ten feet high. So they launched, slammed into that wall. I jump out and and what did I do? I went in to save them. I went in to rescue them. I'm not just gonna be like, hey man, you guys are okay. I had to pull them out of the car because I could smell gasoline. I didn't know what was gonna happen next. On Dukes of Hazard, that thing's ready to blow up, you know what I'm saying? So I had to pull them out, I had to drag them out, and I had to bring them to a point of safety. And listen, I share that with you because this is what Jesus did for every one of us. Every one of us who puts our trust in him as Savior. You see, he, he's the door. He doesn't just save you from destruction. He gives you spiritual provision. He moves you from death to life, from hell to heaven. 
from helpless to hopeless, from anxious to assured, from lonely to loved, like you get transferred to a far better position, and the door serves our, as our admission for this better position, this provision that can only come through Christ. Not only that, though, look what Jesus says next. Upon our salvation... If we enter by him, we'll be saved. What does he say next? He says we have in and out privileges. Notice what he says next. He says, and we will go in and out and find pasture. Now, let's not minimize the pasture that he provides. I would say the pasture he provides is best described in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, that passage about our pasture, we love to recite that passage, but we fail to believe it. You know what I'm saying? I read this this week in reference to Psalm 23. Somebody has said, this passage of Scripture is more loved and less believed than any other portion of Holy Scriptures. More loved and less believed than any other portion of scriptures. Listen, the Lord gives admission for spiritual provision. He watches over the sheep. He protects the sheep. When the sheep get close to water, you know what it says? Calm waters. Because rushing waters, if, if the sheep, if their fur were to get wet, you know what happens with sheep? They'll get so close to the water, and if there's rushing waters, because they're stupid. Jeff did a great job telling us how stupid the sheep were last week, didn't he? They'd get close to the water, and, and they start sinking their head in so far in deep, and it starts catching on their wool, and it just sucks them right in. Sheep are stupid. They're like, oh, the rapids, let's go get a swig. Niagara Falls, I need a drink. Like, that's what they do. What does our shepherd do? He brings us to the still waters. When we stray, he seeks. When we're starving, he brings us to the grass field. Know, know what sheep do? Know what the sheep do? Sheep are, sheep are so stupid. And, and again, Jeff talked a lot about this, but he missed this super important point, I think. Either that or I was daydreaming like some of you right now. Um, what sheep will actually do is after, they will like continue to eat the same spot. So if the grass is green, they're going to keep eating. And when the grass turns into like dirt, guess what they keep doing? They keep eating. They're stupid. They're hopeless. They're helpless. And we have a good shepherd that cares for the sheep, and he brings us to these pastures. It reminds me of, what's that verse in Ephesians? Ephesians 3. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It's all ours. And if you know Jesus, the Lord is your shepherd, and he's given you green pastures. You might want to write, down the, write this down. The pastures Jesus provides me are for the present. I think we forget that sometimes. I think we're like so focused on eternity, and I would say eternity starts the day you were saved. The kingdom of God is already and not yet happening at the same time. But the pastures Jesus provides me are for the present. They're for the here and now. And what I love is, it's Alex referenced this. Jesus was, he read from Hebrews, Jesus was a 100% God, 100% man. He's just like every one of us. Isn't that cool? I mean, he experienced, think about the life of Jesus. He experienced tragedy. He experienced tragedy. How do I know that? Well, because there's this stepdad that he had named Joseph that we don't ever hear about. And if you read about Joseph in the Gospels, and in Matthew in particular, he was a godly man. He didn't forsake Mary. 
And when the angel came, remember, he embraced God's sovereignty, which he would have been viewed poorly in that society. He would have questioned, like, is, what's going on here with this girl? He's a godly man. Never hear. Jesus experienced tragedy. He experienced a whole lot of difficulty when he was living on mission, dealing with these Pharisees. I mean, he was, he was forced, I would even say this, he was forced to take on great responsibility as a young man. He was the oldest of the family. He would have had, once Joseph is gone, he, he's got to step up. He's got to provide. He has all the weight of the family on him. Like, Jesus had a lot of pressures in life. He was 100% God, 100% man. He gets your situation. He gets it. Isn't that cool? He understands us. And not only does he understand your life situation, and not only did he experience your life situation, he gives us some important instruction. Trust me, and you can have in and out privileges, and I'm going to lead you to a passion, and you're always going to be provided for. And my question for you this morning, church, is this Where are you going to feed? Where are you going to feed? What are, you, what are you seeking to feed on? We often go to poisonous pastures. So I've been off this week, or two weeks, so I, I had to do this, and I apologize. Poisonous pastures we preposterously pursue. Now some of you are like, what does that word even mean? Contrary to reason... We're sheep, right? We're stupid. And contrary to reason or common sense, we pursue these things. And they're poisonous. That's why that word preposterously is important. Because it defines a sheep. We're dumb. <laughs> We're absurd. We're utterly ridiculous. So what are some of them? Things like savings. Savings. Like we think for some reason, like if I just get enough money... I'm going to be comfortable, and I'll feel better, and I'll respond differently in this trial. No, you won't. Your heart hasn't changed. Stuff. We live for stuff. We think if we can get that new car, or that new lake house, or that new whatever, we, we think it will be soul satisfying. Some of you, it's substance. Like, you need to drink, or you need to smoke so that you can experience some ease and not have to deal with the, the stress and you fool yourself into thinking that this pasture is really helping you. And then, of course, there's success. If I can just make my way and climb my way up the corporate ladder, if I become a somebody, people will respect me and I'll feel better about myself. For others of you, it could be sex. It could be if you're not married, committing what Paul says to the Corinthians, fornication, premarital sex. For others of you, it could be within the bounds of marriage, like you're looking at stuff that you shouldn't be, or maybe you've even been unfaithful, and we think, oh, well, if I just have this partner, or if I have this person, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience what Jesus, I would say what Jesus provides is far better, and you're missing out, and you're getting a cheap substitute all in an effort to be happy. And I could even go on with all the S's, just so you know. I left social media off. We love to escape through our social media. Poisonous pasture, man. Poisonous pasture. Man, social media is messing people up. It makes you covet for things that the Lord doesn't want you to have. It's broken up families and marriages be careful on your social media. I have social media. Be careful on your social media. Sports. I, 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 hey, man, my, my small group, we used to do this. Let's just come up with as many S's as possible. I love this kind of stuff, right? But I'm going to move on. I'm off my notes. But here's the point. Jesus is the pasture that every person must pursue. When you pursue Jesus... That thing that your soul desires. Calmness of soul. 
contentment in life, when you pursue Jesus, that's when you're going to experience that. We've got to move. Jesus is the entry for me to experience life abundantly. In Jesus, I have protection from personal destruction. In Jesus, I have admission for spiritual provision. Third, last but not least, in Jesus, I have an invitation for eternal celebration. I have an invitation for eternal celebration. Listen, y'all, the Christian life is fun. The Christian life is fun. I'll tell you what, I love being a pastor. I love when people stop by and come visit me. Now, understand something. I'm a pretty boxy guy, and if I'm studying, I'm studying, and they tell people you can't come in. But you let me know. You want to hook up for some coffee. You want to hang out. You let me know. I love being a pastor. I love, I love the Resolved Conference that we just did. I love yesterday when we had Chick-fil-A and we're able to walk the streets and, and pray together and hang out and get to know each other more intimately. I love living in community. I love being a part of a small group. I love all these different activities that we have planned. I love the fact that our students got to do student lock-in weekend. I mean, the Christian life is meant to be fun. And some of you, I would say, like, if you're having no fun in life, get more involved in church. It's fun. We're weird, as Jeff said the other day. But at least we have fun, right? <laughs> we have fun. In fact, I remember the col my college days. I, I don't know if, it was, if I was in college or single, but um, I had this buddy, and we went to um, this Christian event, this Christian little gathering. And afterwards, he goes like this. This is awesome. He goes, man, that was awesome, and we didn't even have alcohol. <laughs> All the teetotalers in the room say, yep, see, there you go. It's hilarious. Never knew we could have so much fun. Listen, this is just the beginning. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is just the beginning. I mean, we were created for laughter and for humor and for joy and for wit. And he's given every single one of us an invitation for an eternal celebration. And really, the third way Jesus functions as a door, it's kind of like these office doors like it's, it's an invitation. Glass doors, they're inviting. It says, come on. Let's go. Come in. I want to live with you. I want to sup with you. I want you to experience me personally. And when you experience me personally, you're going to experience life abundantly. And here's what the legalist does. The legalist, the thieves, the robbers, what the legalists do is they steal the joy out of the Christian life. They add the rules and they add the regulations and everything becomes rigid. You know what I'm talking about? Jeff was making reference to it last week. Like, no cards, no movies, no pants, no rock and roll music. But not only do they steal your joy, to make matters even worse, Jesus says these thieves, these legalists who teach law and performance-based Christianity... Rather than relying on the work of Jesus, they don't just steal your joy. They, they kill and they destroy you. Because when you go anywhere but to Jesus Christ, there is no life. There is no joy. You're always seeking. I've shared with you before. Google it. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, 60-minute interview. Google it. Watch it. I have one at the time. I've won three Super Bowl rings. I've conquered the world. I have everything. I have more money than I could ever ask for. And I just figure, I just keep thinking, God, there's got to be more to life than this. That's this quote. The critic in the crowd, the consumer in the crowd, and the guy who could care less, they didn't understand. When Jesus is saying, I am the door, he's inviting them into a relationship with him. You know, I was reading a lot about doors this week. I was trying to understand doors a little more clearly. What is Jesus really trying to say? And one of the things that I found super interesting about doors. How do you make your front door more invitational? Guess how? Guess how? This was like on the top 10 list for everyone. And I read a bunch of them. And if you want your front door more invitational, come talk to me after the service. And by the way, we can compare Pinterest accounts as well. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know how you make your front door more invitational? Uh, paint it. Yeah, that's one of the top ten. But on the top ten of every single one is add a knocker. Add a knocker. And you know what we know about Jesus Christ? He's standing at the door and he's knocking. And he's knocking. In Revelation, what does Revelation say about Jesus Christ? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and he 
and eat with him and he with me. Listen, Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. That's why he's the door. And this relationship is a fun relationship. It's an eternal relationship. It's, it's an abundant life relationship. That word abundantly means more than what is expected. More than what's expected. Jesus is saying, I am more than you could ever even imagine. So before we leave here today, there ought to be some heavy examination based upon Christ's instruction. The first question we ought to be asking ourselves this morning is simply this, am I one of his sheep? That's a really important question. Am I one of his sheep? Do I truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And if you are one of his sheep, the next question you ought to be asking is, do I see him as the entry to experience life abundantly? Like, do I really go to him for my protection? Do I, do I pursue him so that I can glean in the green pastures? See, church family, the invitation has been given for all of us to experience eternal celebration. And that eternal celebration, it's not future, it's now. So let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's talk to the Lord. Let's examine our hearts. If you feel as though you're not one of His sheep, man, today's the day for salvation. We would rejoice over having the wonderful opportunity to usher you into the kingdom of God where you can have assurance of your salvation. And, and if you already know Jesus, again, we're asking, do I experience Jesus as the entry for life abundantly? Is he that soul-satisfying person that I run to, to experience joy. As Levi sings, when you're ready, let's celebrate who our Savior is together.